Hello everyone, welcome back to season two of the Artless Dialogue. Um, this is me, so your again, again, again. We're, we're rusty it's sound, it's been eleven episodes. Come on. Yeah, yeah, okay. still. <laughs> Hello everyone, welcome back to the Artless Dialogue. This is the first episode of season two. I'm your co-host Saud Wakar and as always joining me is Ash. Hi Ash, how's the, how's the break been for you? It's been like two, two and a half months or so. Yeah, it's been it's been uh, uh, quite, a, quite a break. Uh, so yeah, welcome everyone to season two. Um, I think that's partly because we've been thinking up things to do and some exciting new uh, ways of, um, I guess, taking the podcast. But also, I think um, it's one of these things you just, you know, I think most people experiencing the whole COVID time zone where yeah. time just seems to move differently during um, COVID and what felt like a few weeks, you know, we were talking the other day and it's like, yeah, two months since we've Dude. been um, off air, so to speak. Um, yeah. It's been quite interesting because a lot of our regulars, Hmm. Um, I've been messaging me and DMing us to say what, what, when when are you coming back when are you come back I used to look forward to the kind of the when your podcast dropped and it was my my, my listen to it when I was driving into work so where, where are you guys um, which is fantastic so we're back uh, yeah 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 a few people asked me <laughs> as well and I was like and I made sure to let them know that no we we didn't give up we're, we're waiting for yes. we're working on season two <laughs> we're developing some special features and stuff to uh, work on so yeah. um season two is going to be fun uh, we're not going to um, yeah. I, I don't think we should tell the listeners everything that we plan on doing let's no. just you know surprise them as it comes along I think so, so how's your break been so a bit don't don't ask I was, I was giving my exams <laughs> and uh so I've still got exams two weeks to like after two weeks, but um, yeah, yeah. Th- I guess that's a part of everything. So yeah, <laughs> not bad. I'm glad oh, the podcast excellent. is back on. So I get a good break and it's fun to talk to you about you this get a stuff. Good break. I know. I know. So we're back in spite of our feedback. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but cool. Uh, what, what, what are we talking about? First episode, uh, Sal, what are we talking about? This yeah, today, <clears throat> today um, it's, it's a fun topic. Uh, I'm going to have fun talking about it and I'm going to like really looking forward to hearing your views on it because you're um, a seasoned professional in the domain. Um, uh, today we're going to be talking about traditional banks, uh, neo banks, digital banks, basically the shift from retail banking to online banking and how that's going on and you know stuff like that. So, um, <clears throat> so when I was looking up a digital bank and everything, so I, I found a few um, classifications or uh, titles you can put on different types of banks so there was a digital so this is what i understood and ash you can correct me if i'm wrong or if i misunderstood something so the first type is a digital bank or online banking so that's our traditional uh banks uh, barclays city now west uh and they they created an online presence they created mobile apps and they're providing online services to customers Uh, the second category that i found was challenger banks now for what I understood is challenging banks are banks uh, predominantly online and they have their own banking yeah. license, just like traditional banks. And they're challenging the way things are being done. And then there was this third category called neobanks. Now, neobanks are 100% online. They don't have physical locations or retail locations, and they don't have a banking license, meaning that they have to partner with existing banks or traditional banks 
to you know ensure deposits and be able yeah. to provide banking services. Now that's 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 yeah. what I understood about about the classification yeah. and and I think I think you're probably um, not far off, so Then I think um, you know we were just talking about this um, off air before we joined. We we, we should have recorded that, so because there's some awesome uh, points. Uh, so I'll try um, re- repeat some of them. But but I think you know. Back when, um, you know, I, I think post-2007, when there was a kind of banking crisis, hmm. and then, you know, regulators and, and the market kind of encouraged uh, new banks to take on um, some of the market share. And that's where the kind of term sort of challenger bank came in. And as you quite rightly said, you know, they were kind of traditional banks, but, but also, I guess they had the benefit of um, starting from scratch. So, you know, not repeating the mistakes, not having the legacy infrastructure, being able to, you know, use a lot of the sort of digital offerings and applications. So they're probably a bit more kind of fleet of foot, um, but they were still kind of, you know, traditional in the sense that they had a, they had current account savings, they offered them via, you know, X, Y, and Z. Um, and, and, and that, I think as well, when you look at the external market challenges, are kind of very much a UK sort of uh, term. Okay. Um, don't, I don't necessarily see that um, as a global term. I think they kind of um, use other, other language, but for us, and you know, open banking came in, and and and, and the CMA and the you know the, the market authority, competitive market authority, was kind of pushing um, other banks to kind of come in and take some of that share, which is where where that name comes from. Hmm. Um, and then I think your point about neo banks, yeah, I, th- I think if we looked at your definition back back in you know whenever it was, I think um, 2016 or so, when um, they really started popping up in volume, then that probably was a fair definition. Hmm. But when you look at um, where we are today, um, I'm interesting, like, is a, is a is a test for yourself and for our listeners. Um, so could you name one or many of the top 20 neobanks of 2020? Do you think you could name some of them? Some of them? Some hits. Okay, so... Yeah, any um, of them. So I, I, I'd say... <clears throat> I believe there's uh the ch- this time in the USA. Yes, well done, number one. Okay, okay, thank go. God I got that right. That's, that's <laughs> top. That's top one. Like, <laughs> yeah. Perfect. It clearly all that revision is working. Yeah, that's the number one in the. It, the that's the number one at the moment, and yeah, and that's based but wasn't, on. Uh, go on, sorry. Wasn't wasn't isn't isn't I I heard Nubank in Brazil is the one with the most uh, cust- uh, you, uh account holders. Yes number two so yes yeah, so oh, it's, okay, no, okay, it's okay. number one for um volume of customers okay but then um it's quite interesting um when you look at the how the, the neobanks are split all over the world hmm. i mean in the states the market is really kind of competitive so okay. i think yeah. there's some in the region of 30 to 40 sort of neobanks in the states um but whereas when you look in uh, brazil hmm. um i think there's only like six in brazil okay so, you know, uh, so not a lot of competition. Um, mm. Believe it or not, um, in China, um, currently one. One? But, you know, you, that's, yeah. So oh, that's so probably kind of, you know, there's, yeah, it's probably kind of because it's, you know, government backed and there's probably, um, you know, it's, it's a bit like the, um, the reason the, the biggest app in the world is, I forgot what it's called, WeChat. WeChat. In, in WeChat. China. WeChat, that's it. And yeah, funnily yeah. enough, this is called WeBank. Oh, okay. So um, it's, it's going to be integrated so, with uh, WeChat as well, I guess, then maybe. Exa- exactly that, exactly that. Uh, and then the other, believe it or not, the second biggest market for this is the UK. 
Oh. And compare, yeah. So when you look at some of the names that are on the UK one, you know, uh, Monzo, obviously, Monzo. everyone's probably heard of Tide. Tide. V, uh, Vive, Revolut, um, you've heard of uh, Curve. Um, so there's lots of kind of um, of the neo banks are based in, in the UK, but you're quite right. So Chime's the biggest because of its uh, market value. Oh, cool. Come on, um, so yeah. it's number one for market value, and, and whereas new would be number uh, one for customer base. But mind you, um, Weed, Weed Bank would probably be number one for customer base, actually. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's interesting to say, yeah, long and short of it is there's tons of um, neo banks out there, and, and, and some of them are, you know, 100%. Um, online and they are primarily digital offering, but then some of them are, have you know moved into Metro being one of them. You know, it was a challenger bank, kind mm. of the apps a bit neo, but it's also got physical presence in you know branches in uh, down south in, in London. Yeah. So they're quite quite a mix of. Um, so I think they, they kind of the definitions have got a bit um, foggy. Blurred, yeah. Late. Yeah. Yeah okay. Um, you you were mentioning geography. I thought I thought South Africa would be somewhere in there up there at least in terms of number of transactions because the Southeast Asia and South Africa when it comes to um being more inclusive, financially inclusive, and involving more people in banking, I believe um, new banks or banks without banking license or those that partner with other banks to provide similar services. Yeah. I think they're 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 more. I thought that they'd be more, you know, um, uh, more accepted, more used in uh, South African, uh, Southeast Asian stuff. Yeah. yeah, and I think I think you're not wrong, and I think um, some of this is when you look at some of the definitions. It's you know, it's a neo bank versus an e money provider, hmm. and and most of them kind of, um, especially when you're talking Africa, and you're right, you know access to a bank account is very difficult um, in Africa's, but e-money providers, oh, uh, yeah. they're all over the place because it's all about, you know, how, how, how I make transactions and, and how, how, how could I do that um, so quickly and effortlessly without having to have a, a bank account. Yeah, um, that's where the blurred lines come in. And I think that's a really good point. Yeah. Uh, I think the thing you mentioned about the focus being on transactions, I think that's where the services uh, may differ because mm-hmm. uh, to provide mortgage mortgages to provide insurance banks have to meet certain requirements and yeah. um, neo banks challenger banks may not always meet those requirements so their services may be different um something something i particularly noticed is that these new digital banks let's just i just say neo banks they're <clears throat> They're providing different services that uh, I'm not sure traditional banks are providing or haven't been providing historically, such as um, Revolut said that they're going to start uh, introduce the buy now, pay later. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and um, it, it's also working it also as a cryptocurrency trading plat- platform. So from your yeah. same banking app, you can trade cryptocurrency, you can invest in it. And it's like real time changes. You have to wait to have Bitcoin or sell Bitcoin. and so I guess it's new banks as they're approaching from a startup perspective. Most of them aren't startups now, but they yeah. approach their 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 uh, journey of innovation, their life cycle uh, yeah. was focused on improving customer experience and uh, bringing in innovation from the ground up. Whereas traditional banks had a set system in place for hundreds of years and yeah. making the change 
to compete with the new ideas and the new customer demands and requirements was a little harder for them at the beginning. But I, I, what do you say? Do you think they're catching up or it's still a, like a big difference between the services? Yeah, I think I think I think you're you're not wrong, Sal. And I think there's always going to be this kind of um, you know slight kind of arms race where um, the neobanks kind of introduce something, and neobanks tend to have a different risk appetite as well because regulators look at them differently. Hmm. You know, back to your point about you know banking licenses. You know, if you look at uh, EU, especially in or you know in the UK, you know a lot of the kind of central um, you know whether it's the ECB or the, the, uh, the FCA uh, or the PRA they look at banks and they look at the proportion of customers they have or the proportion of transactions they support and manage in that vicinity mm. or that region. And then they apply greater restrictions on those banks because those banks can't afford to fail. Mm. And mm. so if those banks then start going into risky type of products, you know, um, ahead of the market curve, it's, it's usually kind of frowned upon. And so those banks tend to take uh, a more kind of conservative approach um, neobanks, on the other hand, especially a lot of the neobanks, like we said, you know, have e-money licenses. Mm. So e-money licenses, I mean, in the EU, it'll cost you £5,000 to create an e-money license. So, you know, we could set one up, you know, there's there's a whole process to go to, but it's not particularly difficult. Mm. Compare that to getting a banking license. Now, getting a banking license is a whole different kettle of fish. Compliance um, and stuff, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and and so then you kind of go um, neobanks. Then therefore, you know, buying up late is a classic one. You know, Klarna have um, gone way ahead of the curve. You know, took a massive chunk of the market share. You know, I think they were, last time I checked, they were over forty billion um, because of the market share they've taken. Because yeah. it just went ahead of everyone. But now, um, you know, because of the concerns of regulators, they're now talking about sharing customer data with credit agencies. Now, that mm. used to be one of the things they kind of said we don't do because the whole point of Klarna was, you know, a point of sale. You could just choose to delay payments. And, yeah. you know, like you said, it's buying up here later. And so the credit element wasn't there. But clearly from a regular perspective, they're kind of going, well, how do you know these customers could afford it? And how do you know that customers aren't going to detriment? And and so neobanks think they're still at that point where they're able to kind of take different uh, risks when it comes to new products hmm. but a lot of the big banks are already starting to look at buying up here there and they, you know they may be a few years behind but they'll they'll get there um, and I think that's probably the big distinction and you know having legacy architecture and complex banks and layers of technology that need changing is always going to slow it down um, hmm. whereas you know neobanks most of neobanks have all been built you know with API connectivity integrated they're fully digital they're all using all the newest kit no legacy to kind of slow you down yeah. so actually it gives you the ability to deliver change far quickly and you can test products far quickly and if you make a mistake you don't have big customer bases yeah yeah and i think i think you mentioned regulation quite a bit i think that has that's one of the biggest factors that is causing the difference between them mm -hmm. because of course if uh, if a new bank wants to integrate uh, or embed itself with another platform or with another mobile application they can do that with the less, less regulatory yeah. or security concerns whereas a bank who has certain requirements and criteria and security concerns privacy yeah. concerns they have to meet they have to uh, jump through those holes hoops and they have to then yeah. so i think i think that's that's one uh, big factor as well. Um, okay, so another another difference that I noticed between these two banks is the business model. 
Yeah. Uh, the the main thing I noticed was that uh, neo banks, their main uh, revenue source is from um, interchange fees. Uh, from from your yes. when you when you uh, at POS when you uh, swipe the debit card or the credit card, and I think that's yeah. where they make most of the money and. Um, the, the reason for that being, uh, at least in, I know about the US, you can elaborate about the UK a bit, but in the US is that if, if your if you're, um, asset, assets are less than uh, 10 billion US dollars, then you can charge up to seven times uh, when you make a transaction. Uh, the bank can charge seven times more when uh, the customer makes a transaction. What's, what's that about? Why, why is there such a limit on and how, how is it like in the UK? Um, so I'm, I'm not, I wasn't aware of that, so, so that's useful. Um, so they're definitely kind of set criteria because, you know, when Payment Services Directive came in and it's mm. an EU-led directive, there was set criteria on to how much you can charge and, you know, whether it's as a proportion of the transaction or uh, a threshold limit. And a lot of the kind of changes have meant, you know, debit card transaction fees have kind of, reduce, 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 credit card transaction fees are reduced, reduced, reduced. So where it used to be a very kind of, you know, profitable part uh, of overall sort of income for things like current accounts, it's no mm. longer the case. Um, so I'm not sure, clearly in the States, they've got different uh, sort of directives when it comes to this sort of stuff. But yeah, you're, you're not wrong when you look at a, lo um, a lot of the neobanks, uh, they're all, you know, you, you, transactions is where they get their money you know mm. transaction volumes and generating transactions and capturing payments and and we talked about this in season one around capturing the end-to-end -end journey of transactions whereas you know traditional banks tend to go well we'll take on board your savings and mm. we'll take on board your current account so net interest income yeah. is a big you know income generator for um you know for, for, for the traditional banks now obviously in a in a depressed sort of um, interest rate market that's really difficult to do because mm. you know and, and over the last sort of 10 years you know bank of england rate apart from obviously the last few weeks where it's gone up but um, prior to that it's been quite low so again if you're a neobank to get yourself to the volume you need and then all the kind of cost that comes with holding that amount of capital you know it's not really worth your while going into net interest income you want to mm. get the quick fees which is transaction volumes. So if you can get traffic and you can get people using your, your payment, you know, Shopify and all of these, they, they all do it. You know, Shopify yeah. want you to use the Shopify checkout because Shopify take a uh, cut of the transaction. And then, you know, every time you use Visa or MasterCard, you know, there's a transaction fee attached to all of this. Um, so they're just trying to go for volume and traffic, but they're not taking the risk of holding the balances because the balances are held by the, the traditional banks, mm -hmm. which are a bit of a utility in that case. Yeah. Um, and yeah, but I was thinking that as um, customers ask for lower transaction rates, because they've got so many options, as you said, you can pay through Spotify, you can pay through Visa, MasterCard, uh, PayPal, and then these uh, neo banks, their own applications. So customers will want to choose what's cheapest for them. And as demand grows because of competition, each new bank, each service will want to get cheaper. And I think that's why so many banks are saying that transaction. So when you do research, it says that transaction uh, fees are where they earn their revenue. But when you ask the banks, the banks say that that's not our major source of income. 
So I don't know if that's got to do with trying to push up their stock price or like keep investor confidence. But um, I have noticed that, like as we talked before, they're moving into other directions to make money, yeah. such as uh, crypto trading or uh, BNPL uh, and other things. And I believe as they grow, they will become closer to banking sizes in terms of transactions. And eventually, they'll have to introduce products where they'll have to get banking license and step into that domain and make the shift towards higher regulation. Yeah, that, that's what uh, I think. I, yeah, no, I think you're right. That that decision point will happen, and they'll all have to decide at some point when they get to scale. So take Klarna for example, mm. and you go. Um, so they've gone down the route of you know transactions and they kind of their sales pitch, I guess their their leader is buy an app pay later. Yeah. But it's still the same point, which is they they're trying to draw the transactions through to them. Uh, so they're offering uh, buy an app pay later. So when you check out, you check out via Klarna. Now, you know what they're hoping for is reaching a certain scale and then getting a certain customer base. And then you're quite right, you know they they'll they'll normally then uh, leverage that and move into a different product set. The, the, the danger with all this is, and you know, you saw it with some of the uh, challenger banks where they got to a certain scale and then the jump to go, say, you know, say, say one of these new banks decides to sell mortgages. Mm. And then you go, right, okay, the mortgage market, big uh, market from terms of income and revenue, but so highly regulated mm. that then the infrastructure you need to build in your organization to meet the regulation is material. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. expensive. And then it's very expensive. And and even to the point of, you know, not just the assurance, but the evidence and everything that goes uh, behind it. And then obviously regulators suddenly start taking an interest. Hmm. And a lot hmm. of the newer banks at the moment, you know, even though some of them are bigger than, you know, traditional banks, they still don't get the, the same amount of regulatory sort of um, uh, oversight as banks do. Now, some of that is because of that point around, you know, banks offer things like current accounts. So, so that's that's how people get access to their money. So, if suddenly a bank failed that held twenty percent of the, you know, the U- UK or US's current account population, now that's going to have an impact on that country's GDP. Mm-hmm. So, regulators like the PRA are then very in- interested in, and in, you know, stuff like you know, resilience and OCIR and all these new regs that are coming in, which says, you know if this bank was to fail, how do you ensure that there's not material impact? So suddenly the kind of the regulation isn't just a small increase, incremental increase, it's material when you start holding current accounts, when you start holding mortgages. And it, and it just, it, 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 you, you, you know, it may be that, that actually a lot of these neobanks decide, well, if the banks are gonna do the utility for us, mm-hmm. a bit like BT did all the wiring and you know, and 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 now other other sort of networks use the BT network, yeah, BTS, yeah. and all the kind of cabling for them. Then you know, they 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 don't have necessarily an incentive or need to build the utility because mm-hmm. why would you? It carries the expense, it carries the risk from a regulatory perspective, and it carries all the challenges of holding the capital. You don't have to have any of that, but you could in theory get the income from the transactions and all the other fees that come with it. Yeah. So it's kind of almost like that, you know. There's, there's there's always a tipping point where you go. You either continue to be a an e money provider, or if you want to jump into banking, it's a pretty chunky step. 
Um, and you'll see Revolut are trying to do that. And, they, you know, they've got the banking license. I forgot where, but, you know, uh, it was a country in the EU they got a banking license for. They've got a, a, a banking license for 11 countries in the EU. And I think right. in the past few days, uh, they were, like, having trouble getting a banking license in the UK. Yeah. Not surprised. The yes. UK is a difficult place to. Um, <laughs> it's one of the most challenging places when it comes to uh, regs. Yeah. Um, but you know, you know, uh, Tesco, you know, um, got a banking license, and and Tesco kind of decided to kind of exit mainly from that market because uh, it's just becomes difficult and expensive. Um, so it's not always it's not always easy um, to do that. Yeah, I, I like the last point you made about um, so outsourcing risk. Is that is that the right term that these new banks can outsource yeah. the risk to traditional banks and then pay more for it? So I, I think that's an interesting concept that I didn't think of before. Um, another thing that I was thinking about hearing you talk about regulation was: is it possible to have certain products or certain um, services regulated and others not regulated for the same bank? Like, for example, if a new bank. Uh, introduces current accounts. Maybe its current accounts are regulated, and then its crypto trading platform is not regulated. Is that something? Because is that possible? It's tricky. Yeah, I, it's I think tricky. this is where. Yeah, I mean, this is where you kind of you know I'm I'm certainly no expert, but this is where the PRA and FCA certainly in the UK are very different because the PRA is all about kind of resilience and your ability to kind of operate, whereas the FCA has kind of got a very conduct compliance lens. So there may well be that cryptocurrency, you know, there is there is very little kind of compliance type of reg out there for it. However, if you suddenly invest 50% of your capital into cryptocurrency, the PRA are probably interested because they're going to say, well, you put the whole bank at risk. And if you certainly hold current account, you know, balances for customers, then the PRA will be very interested in how you're, how you're protecting those current account balances. So, and the you know, risk from crypto would leak into the risk of exactly. overall bank risk. Exactly. Okay. So, so part, you know, one of the big changes from 2007 was, you know, you know, ring fencing, which was how you separate, you know, the investment, the high risk elements of banking from the more traditional, you know, current accounts and savings, um, which was exactly to do what you described there, whereas if bank, you know, banks decide to go into cryptocurrency, um, then how do you protect the, the, the sort of, yeah, exactly, and, and there's very clear lines about separating the two. Uh, yeah. Reg- uh, regarding your, you mentioned the UK regulation, how it's strict. Um, so I've got two things. Firstly, uh, I want to hear what you think about something. Um, a UK court in the past week or two uh, identified NFTs as um, property which you can. I think it was it, NFTs can be security. No, NFT was treated as equivalent to property. So, um, so a UK court said that. So then, that that's in precedent now. Like you have um, lawsuits or uh, trials in court regarding property, you can have the same regarding NFTs. So, wow. interesting. Yeah. So that's something I, I want to hear your point on. And the second yeah. thing was, um, yeah. <clears throat> so because new banks are into trying to get into similar services such as banking, such as transactions. Each country has their own type of regulations, but most of the world is pretty on the same page regarding transaction regulations. But then it comes to crypto, NFTs, and other things that they are into, that new banks are introducing into their banking uh, platforms, uh, online banking platforms. And every country has different regulations. So that's so if they're going to go that route, that is going to be very hard for them. 
Yeah, mm. and I think that's it's always been a challenge. But I think on your, your first point about uh, NFTs and um, for those that aren't familiar with um, you know non fungible tokens, then um, you should listen to our, our previous episode on uh, the metaverse where we talk about and explain you know um, all the fun and interesting things um, NFTs can and are doing. Uh, but I guess the principle there is if if a court decides it's now treated or can be treated as an asset. Mm then you know people lend against assets and you know which includes you know uh, art you know so you know you can you can hold you know uh, art um, uh, you know to offset a, a loan or you can borrow against all sorts of different things so I, I think yeah i think it's just kind of the evolution of um what we deem as valuable and and with the introduction of you know cryptocurrency and bitcoin which is pretty much exactly that you know it's a it's a non-fungible token because its its value is perception, and mm. and it's one of the reasons why it gets such high profile, but also why it's still so high risk. Um, yeah. You know, because all it takes is a is a tweet from uh, Mr. Musk, and and suddenly the price drops. So it's you know it's it's a tricky tricky place. Some um, some yeah. some start. You, go on. No, 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 go, go, go. So I was, I was saying some startups actually are working on uh, using NFTs and uh, cryptocurrency as a security for loans or collateral for loans. And I, 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 I'm not sure how that's going to be regulated because their prices are so fluctuating. It's going to be a huge risk for the lender. But yeah. um, I think, I think if we go into that route, then yeah. we can talk for an hour more. And yes, I'm, I'm not sure our <laughs> we don't want to you know tire no. out our listeners. Yeah, but I think the second point around kind of, you know, how um, neobanks kind of operate different. I mean, there's always this thing about, you know, and, and, and I guess the, the really good thing of about, you know, neobanks and challenger banks was, you know, it accelerates, you know, um, uh, innovation because, you know, things go stale if you've got, you know, monopolies or if you've got, you know, big institutions who are just static and, you know, jumping away from banking into, you know, the mobile phone sector and 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 you know suddenly you know where everyone's like competing it's 3g became 4g became 5g and 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 iphones and androids and samsung you know they start competing with each other and suddenly your camera goes from you know a pixel to you know, x million pixels yeah and it's like one camera's not enough it's got five cameras and oh. the screen is so sharp so, so kind of, you know, challenges always kind of force innovation. So it's a great thing that there are lots of neobanks in the UK because yeah. it just means, you know, every bank, be it a traditional bank or a neobank or a challenge bank, they all have to up their game in the UK. Yeah. But, you know, in, you know, you kind of place like, you know, if you've got one or two banks in that country or in that, in that region, then, you know, you don't need to compete. Why would you need to spend money on innovation when you've cornered the market? Hmm. Um, so it's great. I think that, you know, for, for, from a global perspective, you kind of spoil it in the UK. Because I remember going to um, the States a uh, couple of, well, it was pre-COVID, so probably three, four years ago, and we went to uh, Disney, hmm. and everything was still mic strike. Hmm. You know, it was, it was a bit surreal. It was like going back in time. Yeah. And, you know, I was kind of like, contactless was kind of you know prevalent in the uk by then and you know everywhere you went you could do contactless you could do contactless like your local news agent yeah and here we are in you know disney world in america and you fully expect that to be contactless but it was mike stripe and it was mike stripe to the point where uh my daughter's fear uh i think she was like six at the time mm. and we were in this um, shop in in disney world getting you know 
extortion, you know, uh, as I was kind of getting <laughs> my arm twisted to buy it, I couldn't retire for Sophia and I needed to take a personal loan on. And then, um, but Sophia was just literally borrowed my card, as in, I obviously told her, she didn't pick up my pocket, but I said, oh, go on, here you go. Uh, and she went to the counter and, and swiped it. The girl, you know, the lady behind the counter took the card from Sophia, swiped it, and then that was it. But it's mm. Mike's right because, so they didn't have chip and pin, yeah. you know, touch ID isn't a thing over there. So, so as much as there's innovation in banking, you know, it's infrastructure, infrastructure. Um, is also kind of uh, important yeah. because if you don't have the infrastructure, you can have all the innovation in the world if you can't connect to, you know, what's out there. You yeah, get um, to the end customer to use these. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this is where, you know, you, you kind of, if you look at London transport, you know, they, what they did really well was, you know, near field, near field technology, you know, another NFT acronym, mm. um, but essentially, you know, the ability to, happen on everything yeah. and so you know you get on a bus or a train or anything you can just tap 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 and it used to be you had to get a separate card now you can just use your own debit card yeah yeah um so convenient and then i was in um edinburgh the other day um to go into, go into the zoo and we got on a bus and you had to have change and i was like what a world you know it's like what, 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 what bus did you get on i i just oh, tapped I, my I, card I, on my phone Dear, so you yeah. on a one. I was on the number twenty six, which was going along um, Castorfin Road to uh, Edinburgh Zoo, uh-huh. and I got on fully expecting to it to be you know contactless and all the rest of it, and then you know the bus driver's like, oh that'll be you know four pound sixty or whatever it was, and I kind of looked at him and I go, like, okay, I literally have no change, <laughs> um, and then um, I, had, I had a fiver on me, but they yeah. they wouldn't give me change because they don't give the bus they drivers the change. Yeah. So I had to pay five pounds, but I was just I was a bit surprised. But because you um, got on the one bus that asked for cash in the that, whole yeah. of the city. Yeah, I mean, maybe it was a old bus, but I think that the, you know the point there is you know I think uh, you know Neobanks really kind of pushed pushed the uh, boat out when it comes to new products, etc. But there's always this lag. The, hmm. the lag is either people and understanding and comfort with that. You know, contactless take contactless again. You know, we had the technology for ages, but people were panicked. Oh, I'm going to be in a lift and someone's just going to steal all my money from our wallet. Yeah, yeah. And so there's this cultural shift. And then you went to infrastructure was behind. And then now suddenly people don't even think about using contactless. It's just such a normal thing. Yeah. And 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 then um, probably uh, conscious of time, we will talk about forever um, on this podcast. So we do need to let people, they've probably got to their journeys by now and, <laughs> and still sitting in the car listening to us. Um, but but the, the other bit is really just around um, that, that thing around um, kind of complexity. Hmm. And, you know, buy now, pay later is a classic example of the print, the, the sort of the service seems great, which is I can spread by payments, hmm. but you can just see the complexity getting built. And I'll not, I'll not name names, but, you know, a certain bank in the UK, um, a challenger bank has buy now, pay later. Hmm. And you have three options. Option number one is... Um, you make one payment uh, today and you make another payment in three months. Option number two, it's over three months. Option number four, it's over or three, it's over six months. But the option over six months carries an APR, hmm. whereas the first two options don't. It's 0%. Hmm. And then when you do the transaction, it then splits the payment on your transaction list. So can you imagine that's one transaction? Yeah, now, if yeah. that one transaction is suddenly split across six, and obviously everyone nowadays uses your debit card for everything. Yeah. Imagine then, you know, you did that for Amazon Pay and you did that for Google Pay. I mean, you would not understand 
your transactions. You would not understand which ones you're paying interest on, which ones you're not, which ones mm. are due, which ones are not due. Easily get you know confused the heck out of everyone. Um, and then you could just suddenly see your banking app having about a million or one different transactions with different payments going on different days. And you just don't um, do it because it's such a, you can't remember yeah. everything and you get confused. You can't, you can't remember it. So, so you could, I can see, you know, give it a few years, you know, another um, software technology or another app, you know, or another fintech suddenly popping up hmm. a bit like, you know, open banking saying actually buying up here later is very confusing. So yeah. why not have this app? which will pull it all together and give you a very simple view. You know, that'll be the next fintech uh, trying to address the problems that we're creating today with the user journeys of things like buying our pay later because it's complex. And, and, I guess, one bank. and I guess that's a part of innovation. You introduce yeah. something, you try to do it the best way you can, and then you realize, okay, there are better ways yeah. to do it. And then people come in and over time, you start taking yeah. those things for granted and you don't even remember how complicated it used to be. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a really good point, actually, because, um, you know, they kind of, the metaphor is like the, you know, the tide and the waves coming in, you know, mm -hmm. back in the day for hundreds of years, we had utility banks, traditional banks, and then we had this kind of wave of neobanks, mm -hmm. but now that's just a consistent wave. And, you know, you just described it perfectly there, so which is the next wave of neobanks are going to now do something better than the previous wave. Yeah. And then they'll feel like old. And then the other wave will come and then they'll do something even better. So that kind of momentum is kind of building now where we're suddenly getting this high volume of, you know, neobanks being stood up. And if you had a chart, you know, you'd go barely any movement to suddenly it's exponential. And and, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely kind of uh, interesting time anyway. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and... Um... I guess, I guess um, we've been on it. It's been a really interesting conversation. I, I learned a lot from you, Ash, and um, I had a great time talking about it. I hope our listeners learned something too, but I guess it's time to call it a day. Yeah, I guess that's it. So uh, guys, thank you for tuning in. Uh, please subscribe. It's the first episode of season two. We're doing some interesting things and um, see you next week, guys. Take care. Yeah, take care, everyone. Enjoy. See you later. Bye-bye.